0: to the show. Before we begin, I just wanted to thank everyone for joining me again, and I wanted to apologize in advance for the audio quality of this episode. I was recording over the computer with my friend Amy, so the sound quality is not as good as last episode, where I was recording in person. I am working on the best ways to get the best sound quality when I'm not able to podcast in person. So just bear with me. I'm still working on it. And I wanted to also ask you, please, to subscribe and rate my podcast. It's a good way to support me without any monetary value. And also, if you wouldn't mind following me on Instagram at I Don't Watch Horror, on Facebook at horror movies podcast and on twitter at watch underscore horror pod that would be wonderful that's where i'm going to make any announcements of what movie i'm going to be watching next so you can watch the movie along with us and anytime i need to give a little reference to what we're discussing in the podcast i will post photos or anything there so you can follow along Thanks. And now on to the show. And welcome to I Don't Watch Horror Podcast. I'm Kelly Kirkpatrick and I'm here with my friend Amy. Hi, I do watch horror. <laughs> so what movie have you chosen for me to watch this week? Today I chose for you one of my favorite movies, The Loved Ones. So before we jump straight into talking about The Loved Ones, why is it that you like horror? I mean honestly
1: I kind of grew up Watching horror. It was a thing that my grandmother and I bonded over, and some of my earliest memories are watching horror movies in her lap when I was far, far too young to, you know, probably probably should have been doing. But she introduced me to all the like classic universal monsters, and you know, when I was a teenager, no matter how much we were fighting, still watched Joe Goddard's Monster Vision together on Saturday night. And they've just always been something I've been drawn to, um, you know, horror movies, horror books, anything spooky in occult. And so a lot of that was, you know, was my connection to, to her. That was, those were the things that we shared.
0: That's really, really wholesome <laughs> <laughs> for such a twisted thing. This is so wholesome. Um, what is the first horror movie you really remember watching?
1: The original Poltergeist. I was, again, that was when I remember watching on her lap, way too young to know what was going on, but old enough to have, to take away a healthy fear of clowns.
0: Okay, yeah, see, Poltergeist was probably one of the first ones I watched as well, but mostly because me and my sister were sort of latchkey kids, and she was the one in charge. And, you know, every summer, what was airing every other week on TV, but Poltergeist, and it scared the crap out of me. Like, I'm six years old, my parents aren't there for me to come for me, and my sister's like, what are you doing? Watch the movie. It Poltergeist is probably one of the first scary movies I watched from beginning to end at, again, a way too young age. I think with that
1: one, too, because you know, it's such a it's, it's a young girl that everything's happening to and who is like the catalyst for everything. If you're watching that and you're like seeing a little girl your age is going on around, yeah, that, that sticks with you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what movie would you say has had the biggest impact on you?
1: Oh, that's a hard one. I'd say
0: kind of my, my formative movie.
1: Can can I give you a couple? Sure. <laughs> So I think two of my formative movies, one is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. <laughs> because she's still gold. And I remember being obsessed with that movie when I was about ten years old. Basically I watched that and Beetlejuice on repeat for I don't even know how long. <laughs> Just that whole thing about you can be this like spooky, witchy sexy lady, and and all still being, you know, successful and fun, and people may not understand you, but they'll come
0: around at the end. Yeah.
1: I, I, I watched, I watched it a few months ago, and honestly, it held
0: out. Oh, good. I, the I, same love, I love when you get to go back and watch stuff from when you were a child, and you're like, oh, God, please, please be at least half as good as I remember. Like, I don't want to be disappointed. And one is just like, you get to actually appreciate it more because you get more. Oh, that's a great feeling.
1: Yeah, and I think the other one was Reanimator. I watched that when I was, can I mean, I'd say, about 12? I was, like, middle school, and that was the movie that made me want to learn how to do special effects and makeup and it got me into learning how that stuff was made. They found this, like, weird VHS documentary thing on, like, behind-the-scenes in horror movies, like, encouraged it. (laughs) Yeah, so that's, that's definitely the movie that got me into actually making things, not just watching
0: them. Wonderful. So, this movie that we're discussing today, The Loved Ones, first of all, I just wanted to say, if you haven't seen the movie, guess what? Spoilers. We're talking about a movie. And if you want to continue watching it without watching the movie, Amy, would you like to give us a little synopsis of the film?
1: Sure. So basically, it's about a, a girl who just really wants to find her prince. And when that doesn't go according to plan, her dad is there to help her. That's that's the Disney princess version.
0: <laughs> that is the Disney princess version. This movie is twisted as fuck. The <laughs> reality is
1: much, much bloodier and much more fucked
0: up. So I wanted to, to bring up, I sort of vaguely knew what this had was about because i had heard that one of the the plot lines for those who don't know which is most of you at this point amy and i met doing a halloween event and one year um many many of these scenes seemed right out of uh the nightmare of vermont plot that uh that we had um so let's hope that the movie doesn't find out about the yes
1: yeah, the well, this movie was with Jana, our friend who produces and directs the, the haunted house we worked at and as we're watching it she's just sitting there completely enraptured and going oh my god oh my god i want to do this in nightmare oh my god this i just found the nightmare script oh, so, Jana. Yeah. but for you know for copyright purposes we did we, we kept some of the same scenes yes but we did not copy it scene for scene, and the Nightmare version was very different and had vampires and all sorts of strange creatures in it that the movie does not have.
0: And we did it for charity. Horror for charity. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to talk about the name of the title because I, I knew vaguely what it was about. And I'm like, how does a movie like this get a name called The Loved Ones? and as i watched it it's because the movie truly is about the secondary victims of hers the loved ones of the the boys she has tortured and killed even the main antagonist is a secondary or a third victim
1: yeah it kind of works on both levels because on the higher like on the surface level the
0: the loved ones
1: are the boys Yes. They're, they're low, limit. but yeah, you're right. Like, and that's one of the things I really love about this movie that I think sets it apart from your standard like torture porn
0: mm-hmm.
1: is you really care about the character, and you see other people caring about the character. Yeah. Like it's ever seen where it spends as much time on the families of the victims and what they're going through, and not just on you know.
0: Yeah, the um, like there's three separate storylines. There's the main character being tortured by the 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 main antagonist. There's his best friend who asks out this girl, who you then find out was the sister to one of the antagonist's previous victims, and you have the protagonists girlfriend teaming up with the father of the the previous boy victim in trying Mm -hmm. to find where the antagonist is. I can't remember their names. for So,
1: Holly is the girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And I also really love the relationship between her and Brent, the victim, between Holly and Brent's mom. Mm -hmm. And also the way that ties together the Valentine spotline. Valentine was the last name of the, the previous boy. Yes. And the sister. Because you find out that the reason why Brent's mother is so overprotective and so worried about him is because he was in a car accident where he was learning how to drive and he wrecked the car to avoid hitting this boy that you see just like staggering down the side of the road and it ends up killing the car accident kills his father. So there's this whole thing where you know their family's been ripped apart by the fact that, you know, he you know he killed his father in a car accident. And then you find out that that boy was the, the girlfriend, her name, but it was her brother, Liz, who had escaped from, from Lola. So, yeah, the way they tie all the characters together and you have the, you know, the two different families and, like, in different stages of grief. And the way it really just captures, like, all of that. And then you also have, in, in like, a really twisted way, you also have that mirrored in Lola's grief mm-hmm. over each time that the boy's not right. And then her grief over losing her father when he meets his end, and the escape and it's this big study in like how people deal with grief and how people deal with, you know, the thought of losing someone they love.
0: You know, looking back at the film a little bit, something I found very interesting and a good choice to be made was the brent he was very self destructive um and you can see this like he's he's free climbing this cliff wall and then he's hanging there by one hand and he's having this moment and it's kind of a tense moment because he's very high up and he's very isolated so if he fell and happened to survive he would still probably die due to exposure but he has this moment where he slips and he catches himself and I feel like that was a big turning moment where he decides I don't want to die and then he has he has this quiet moment and that's when he gets taken by the daddy character Lola's father and it makes me wonder that if he had not had that moment of clarity would have even fought to get out of that situation
1: yeah I think that scene is so important for setting up his character because yeah you see that you know he he's a cutter he's clearly you know dealing with a lot of his own grief and self-destructiveness but yeah seeing that moment survivor's
0: guilt and that
1: moment of you see he really does want to live he chooses to even if it's not like a conscious choice
0: he has
1: he fights to get to get back up the the rock. Yeah, I and mean, I think that really tells you what you need to know about him as a character
0: mm-hmm.
1: as you're going into his ordeal as
0: the victim. Yes. So we had mentioned Lola searching for her prince and the tragedy is that none of the boys are ever right and the sexual aspect of the relationships in 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 the torturey section mm-hmm. I found very uncomfortable. Not only because it's like slightly incestuous but there's a power play and you can't really tell who is in power in that thing like clearly it's a doting father but he has weird feelings for his daughter his daughter clearly manipulates him he manipulates her she plays the victim like there's this part where She drills a hole in Brent's head and about to pour some boiling water into his brain and dribbles it on his face. And she all of a sudden, like, backs off and plays this poor, innocent little girl. The hole's too small, Daddy. Will you make it bigger? Like, it's it's weird that she's clearly in power, but she's in power by playing the victim. And it made me so uncomfortable to watch that.
1: Yeah, the the relationship between Lola and her father is honestly one of the most fucked up things in the movie. <laughs> um, because you see I mean, you see it in the the first scene you see them in together when he buys her the dress. And that moment as she's like really excited and she goes to put it on and he has that moment of discomfort as his, you know, teenage daughter starts taking her clothes off to, to put on the dress. And she's like, No, no, daddy, stay in see how it looks tell me how pretty i am and that moment of him you can tell he's like visibly uncomfortable watching his teenage daughter in her underwear and that you know it's it's such a power move on her part and um the whole thing with bright eye who is her mother and from what i can tell this first victim yeah you know and the fact that her mother is lobotomized doll basically that is in direct competition with. And, like, there are a couple of scenes where she's literally asserting her dominance over her mother and her place in her father's life over her mother. I mean, but honestly, one of the things I love about this movie is because it takes the, what's been done to death in horror movies with the whole, like, psycho killer and his mother dynamics. Like, you know, it started with Psycho, with Friday the 13th, you know, the whole thing was, like, the horrible slasher psycho killer person, has this twisted relationship with their mother. It takes that and flips it, so it's daddy and his little princess relationship, and it's just so uncomfortable a lot. And it's, it's just, they do it beautifully.
0: It's also it. It's sort of like the daddy daughter dance things that you see, and you're like, that's creepy. How do they not see that this is creepy?
1: Or purity ball. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's a purity ball on horror <laughs> and it in
1: that honestly the contrast between that and the scenes where she is like overtly sexual what she's doing to Brent yeah and like and she's doing it like very performatively in front of her dad it just it plays on that just like visceral like there's such a taboo around that it's mm-hmm. such an idealized relationship in our in our culture but it's it plays on that that taboo so strongly. It, it makes it's almost more uncomfortable than the actual like torture.
0: Scene. So I wanted to discuss the what has been deemed torture porn, which this you know I I recall I thought I didn't like torture porn just because I recall watching the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Jessica Beale when I was about 17 and I just remember it being so gross that like I just covered my eyes all like through half of it and I'm like I didn't watch it I heard it and I'm like what's the point of me watching this if it's just so awful but the elements of torture in this are they're bad don't get me wrong but they're it's not a whole 20 minute scene of just straight, the worst vile things you can imagine doing to a person. It's these small sections of, like, build-up and the cool-down and the build-up and the cool-down. I mean, there are a few times I have to cover my eyes because needles, and I just don't like needles. Um, But it's, I, I think it was done with just enough to make it a much more interesting movie.
1: I think it goes back to the fact that you actually care about the character. And, I mean, I think that's what... I mean, I'm... Honestly, I'm not a huge fan of just, like, the standard torture porn genre. And, honestly, I've never even watched Hostile, because I don't really have any interest in just watching people be terrible to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also... It's one of my frustrations is that, like, the first Saw movie was actually a really well-done, really clever thriller, and there was such a good story that set up all of the the traps and the games and stuff and just like it's one of the things where I went back and and rewatched that not too long ago and was really impressed at how well done and how clever it is and then so many other people just kind of ran with the torture part of it and not having the context of the story that makes the torture like
0: part that's actually scary
1: yeah
0: so it's like I don't really like
1: Movies that are just, like, violence for the sake of violence and, you know, torture just for the sake of, like, how fucked up can we be, I don't really find that appealing, and I don't really find it interesting. And that's the thing I love about, uh, like, the first small movie, about this movie, is, yeah, there's some scenes that are pretty graphic violence and torture, but in the context of the story, they're really powerful. And I think with, with this movie especially, it's because they're so intimate and, like, almost loving, mm-hmm. you know, and also you see the way that Lola and her dad are, like, as they're talking, like, as she's doing different things, you can tell they've basically created this, like, ritual around it, like, there, there's a pattern, there's a ritual of, here's what we do next, and it's literally, like, a series of tests that they're putting the boy through.
0: Ooh, I never and- thought of it as being a test to, to pass or fail
1: it like the way when she's like, oh, it's time for drawing. And he praises her afterwards that it's the best one she's done yet. You know, and it's just like you really start to see that ritual element of it. Um, this is something they've done enough times that there is a time for each thing. When you think about it, yeah, like most people are going to have the same kind of reaction. You know, so I can see where, you know, each boy probably reacted in a very similar way. I don't really know how someone could pass the test. The, the things that they're doing, I don't really know what winning would look like, so I think it's more of, it's giving them a framework to go through this ritual that will always have the same end. of, you know, Lola breaks her toy and throws it away.
0: That's still not a, it's not a test I, I think anyone would really want to pass, but you also really that, don't want to lose either.
1: Yeah, I think the passing would be her having enough fun that she can Or, I mean, I think ultimately, like, in her, like, really twisted way, she's trying to, like, the test is, like, proving your love to her. And I don't really know what that would look like, but I think that's what she's trying to get.
0: Well, she asks him out in the beginning. Would winning be... No, if he had said yes, if he had not had a girlfriend, if he had said yes... Would that have just started a halfway decent relationship until he realized, like, oh, wait, this is kind of messed up anyway? Like, it makes me wonder, like, what would have happened if he had just said yes? Or was that the first attempt to get him to the house?
1: Yeah. The way that they sort of set up Lola as the the weird outcast kid, Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone would say yes. That's part of what makes her so relatable in a way is especially if you've been that girl you know if you were that girl that someone asked out on the joke yeah. you know it it takes all of that teenage girl anxiety and desire and feeling of being completely unlovable is so relatable and then it just takes it so in such a twisted path in such a twisted direction mm-hmm. but yeah I mean I, I think if he not in a not in a I'm gonna say yes and then make fun of me to all my friends sort of way. Mm-hmm. I think that also the way they portray Brent is he's not the kind of guy that would do that. No. Like
0: he's
1: genuinely like, like caring, nice, good person.
0: I mean, he was he was broken himself. He knows what it feels like to have your heart broken, and I'm I'm sure there was probably some asshole kid who made fun of him for being the one who killed his dad or like made him feel worse about a situation that he had almost no control over yeah he was behind the wheel so that starts off with an immense amount of guilt but then to blame him for the again i'm speculating but then to be blamed for something that he only tried to avoid Mm -hmm. like he would be very aware of the emotional trauma what someone else can inflict with just words or what a flippant disregard comment can really have a deep impact on someone.
1: Yeah, the whole thing where if if she hadn't been going in that direction, mm-hmm. they actually probably would have been threatened. I think is one of the other things that just like really hits on an emotional level. You don't ever see Brent being an asshole. You don't see him being mean to her. You don't see him being mean to his mother, even though you can tell he's kind of frustrated with how overprotective she is, you know, with, with good reason. Right. Um, the fact that he does seem to be, like, a genuinely caring person makes what he goes through, like, hit that much harder because, I like, that's what so many, so many slasher movies, especially, like, teen slasher genre, it's a bunch of asshole kids. And we all know those asshole kids. And there's something kind of like fun and cathartic about watching them get hacked to pieces because we've all dealt with them. They're the people who make your your high school experience to take away that level of distance that you normally have going into a movie like this and making the main victim such a sympathetic character I think is is one of the reasons I really love this movie because it just gives it that much more power.
0: Except for... Uh, Lola and uh, and Daddy, every character is just very sympathetic. You see where they're coming from. Like his best friend who asks out the alternative girl. You feel good that he, he asks out this what looks like a, a badass don't fuck with me chick. And then once you explore their relationship, you realize she is deeply damaged inside and he's not emotionally ready to deal with someone who's so broken but he tries his best. I'm not saying all of his choices are the best but everything was not malicious like he wasn't out to try and use her.
1: I and mean, he was very much that like archetype of like this sweet bumbling stoner dude. But yeah he's never malicious you no. know and even... And she's in charge the whole time. Mm-hmm. Even when she completely wasted, she's still the one calling the shots. And yeah. he's just
0: trying to be supportive. And he doesn't know how to do it.
1: Yeah, and that the line when he brings her back home and, you know, her dad, like, starts to bring her in the house. And he just says, oh, they must have danced her off her feet. That line is just like, oh, honey, oh, honey, you're trying so hard to make this okay that whole thing of you know he knows like her parents know how fucked up she is right now and he's still trying to like soften it and protect her like that is one of the most heartbreaking lines in the whole movie Mm
0: -hmm. i honestly kept waiting to see what happened to them because i i did i thought it was genuinely sweet in a very fucked up manner but the part that broke my heart was after she went back inside after this whole night where she's She went on a bender with a boy who was not prepared to go on a bender. Like, she just, like, crawls back in her bed, doesn't even undress. She's just curled up, and when her dad goes to peek in on her, she's just, why can't you find him? I, at first, couldn't hear that line, but I knew it was going to be very, very important, so I had to, like, go back and put closed captioning on. And once I realized she said, why can't you find him, like, my heart broke for her. Because then I, I all of a sudden understood what was going on with her. And that the previous boy who got away um, was her brother. And and father in that, in that situation was a police officer. And one, I can only imagine how hard it must be not knowing what happened to one of your children. But then to see it affect one of your other children so deeply... I really understood why he was so desperate to to find Brent, and he was on top of it, and he was there to search from the beginning. And he pulled a rogue move that turned out deadly for him in the end, where uh, Brent's girlfriend said he mentioned Lola, and he just speeds off when he he should have called for backup, and that was his deadly
1: yeah like, He didn't have a warrant, he backup. He was running on, like, his own emotion
0: at that point. Yeah. So, again, like, it's it's the loved ones in the situation who are paying the biggest toll. And so now, unfortunately, that girl was probably, she lost her brother and her dad, so. They, yeah, and you think about that, like,
1: when when the dad
0: dies. It hurts more.
1: Yeah, you know, it takes that moment of, oh, you know, the cop who runs in guns blazing and then get killed by the, the monster. It's such a horror movie trope. You, just, you never really think about the cops of even being like people. Mm-hmm. But with him, because you've just seen what that family is going through, it hits like that just like throwaway death and any other horror movie hits really hard because you know who this person is. You know his family. You just went on this big journey with his daughter. There are no throwaway deaths in this movie. Like no. every person that gets killed it has this huge emotional impact because you see that all the other
0: people affected. I wanted to bring it to the end scene. And I think, you know, despite having a front row center view of him getting his feet impaled with knives and a hammer and getting drilled into with his head, I think one of the most upsetting things visually to see was after after he escapes and he finds his girlfriend on the side of the, the road who Lola had just tried to kill. You see her continuing to crawl after the car with her elbows. And I, I don't know why, but that upset me the most because her elbows are bloody and gross. And, and it, it just shows the... The disconnect that at that point that she had between her physical body and her mental determination and hatred, her her need to kill this character, it was just so upsetting to watch. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Lola's, Lola's Terminator crawl. Oh. Yeah, and the fact that you can see, like, her wrist is broken and her hands just kind of flopping, mm-hmm. uh, like, the effects that they did to her body. Yeah, it was just, like, viscerally just... And to watch her just being like so persistent that she is literally dragging her broken body after this car, using the knife to like pull herself along the pavement, because she's still like again it's that like Terminator kind of focus on must kill the target no matter how bad her body is broken. And it it's like that moment. Honestly, I think it stands out so much because it's the only moment of dehumanization in the whole movie throughout the whole thing and you know even Lola and her dad and then it goes from that to when she's out of the house you're in this like really like blown out sunwashed scene and she it's the only time you really see her as something monstrous and no longer human
0: and there was there was a moment where she's crawling behind the car and you're sitting there wondering are they just going to drive off and leave her there because she's probably going to die anyway Or are they going to flip it in reverse? And they held that moment for just long enough, and then the car goes into reverse. As someone who looks away from violence a lot, like, I was just so enthralled in the moment that I actually watched the car come, and I believe they cut it away just before you actually see her head snap back, but you hear it. Yeah. Yeah. it's It's that moment, like... People have a distinct memory of Bambi's mom getting shot, but you only ever hear the gunshot. You don't actually see the death. It it plays on that, you know what happened. It's not seeing it as the worst part.
1: Yeah, and the fact that that last moment is, you know, the bumper just getting closer from her perspective. Yeah. Like just for, them to switch, for them to switch to that, like, first-person perspective. Mm-hmm. The first, like again, it's like the only time in the movie they used that.
0: Well, they used it for him. Like they show the drill coming to him. Like all of the torture was done to him, and they kind of did it to a first-person perspective for yeah, him. You're right. um, but yeah, it's
1: the camera work and that of just like how they switched it from again because it was like this very wide shot where you saw her mm-hmm. down the road, and it was. They switched from that to that very intimate of you're literally in her eyes, like watching the bumper car coming at you.
0: About the the way it was shot, a lot of it was very standard, but a lot of the shots were not very, quote, artistic. But I feel mm-hmm. like that was also a, a, a very distinct choice. Straightforward thought that when when they do finally do something that is perspective-driven, it makes those moments stick out so much more. Trying to find the right words, it's—they're um, not getting artsy with the setup. So when they finally do make a distinct choice, it makes it that much more impactful.
1: Yeah, it's a visual cue that something's changing. Yeah,
0: this is an important part. I really like that. Like, if, surprisingly, not dark and gritty. Which again, I I liked like like it was a choice of I don't want you to be uncomfortable because you're in such a dark, gross location. I want you to be uncomfortable because these actions are dark and uncomfortable.
1: And I think the contrast of you know the fact that it's happening in this just like incredibly normal family home again, it's just twisting that concept of family and of love and those relationships and keeping them in that home setting, you know, again, it's part of of what makes it powerful is because you don't have things that cause the suspension of disbelief and the disengagement that you get in a lot of horror movies. You know, it just, everything is just very personal. You know, they're not in some weird underground lair or, you know, some big spooky thing. They're in normal house. You know, it's not even like a fancy house. It's like her dad's a custodian. They, they, they don't have money. You know, they're living in this, but it's not like you know this terrible rundown shack either. It's just like a
0: house. It's a well-maintained single-family home.
1: It could be any number of like houses in the suburbs.
0: Although everything, every place seems rather isolated. Like the mm-hmm. school seems isolated. The place where he goes to rock climb is isolated. Everyone seems to be isolated, but it's very normal.
1: And I think that that really kind of ties into the mental state of mm-hmm. all the characters because everyone is really isolated in their own grief. The things that happen leading up to the action being the bee. That it's a really visual and physical representation of that. When you have, you know, Holly, his girlfriend, like, being in his room and being in his house with his mother, it's very clear that she doesn't belong there. Like, she's not really comfortable in the house. His mother's not really comfortable having her there. But she has to infringe on that grief and that, like, little grief bubble that his mother's been in because she's also, you know, basically there, they realize that they... They can't
0: stay isolated. They have to be
1: together and go through this together. But neither one of them is really comfortable
0: with it. Yeah. He's like an outsider. And another thing about when Holly comes into her home, in the beginning of the movie, you have that moment of him making the conscious decision to not die when he doesn't, when he does pull himself after he slips. But then there's another moment where she finds this card of Humpty Dumpty. In the beginning... She, she makes a comment about, I love you, you know, but you're broken, da-da-da-da, and he's kind of uncomfortable in that moment, but then she finds this card where he says, you know, thank you for doing what the king's horses and men couldn't do, and it just goes to show that he may have a hard time expressing it, but he is trying to come to terms with everything, and he wanted to acknowledge to her that, She's probably a big reason why he's been able to heal any amount. The
1: fact that he, when she says, I love you to him, and he can't say it back, he kisses her. Like, you can tell he does, but he can't say the words. Mm -hmm. And then she finds the card where he says, I "I love love you. You. And you really get the sense that that's the only time he's ever said it to her. Yeah, yeah, that part. That's such an emotional, just like, ugh.
0: I I loved that little as someone who does sometimes have a hard time expressing my emotions I really do appreciate the acknowledgement even in a, a quiet way I sometimes feel the quiet acknowledgements of feelings to be more powerful than the than the overt ones so I I really liked that moment yeah
1: it was really sweet and again it's It's one of those things that makes you really want him to survive this. You want them to be together.
0: Yeah. So for a horror movie, it was really, really cute. Yeah, it it is probably the most, like,
1: emotionally engaging horror movie I've ever seen. Yeah. That's really what I love about it is it's one of the few movies like that that has actually made me care.
0: It was. I mean, there there was a specific scene that kind of mirrored one of my other favorite scenes in another movie where you just want to go in and hug the one being tortured and be like no it's okay it's gonna end the pain will stop it's okay i'm here so yeah like it just this this whole movie just pulled on so many heartstrings so i i know exactly what you're referring to (laughs) there is definitely
1: that winter soldier moment where you just want to give him a hug this one that'll all be
0: okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Honestly, from the from the moment I saw him, I'm like, well, I'm a goner.
1: You do a really good job of making him, like,
0: that sympathetic,
1: broken boy that you just want to love until he's full again. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's based on that, like, I, these, like, high school emotions, because I yeah. thought I was such a sucker for that as a teenager. Like, give me the sad boys an eyeliner, and I'm gone
0: yeah learned my lesson about that though <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and it's just like yeah as you get
0: older you learn <laughs> but you learn. Still... there's a reason they're a sad boy and eyeliner just look at the pretty yeah. <laughs> anyway so i just wanted to thank everyone for watching with me any any last things you wanted to say about the movie just that watching it again just reaffirmed
1: someday when we can go to cons again and cosplay is something that I can do outside of my house I still want to cosplay Lola and just walk around a con in a pink prom dress carrying a power drill just to see and the how paper crown cosplay. like I, I want to cosplay character so bad <laughs> I,
0: I can imagine there are going to be so many people be like what are you but then the for the select few people who know it They're going to lose their shit. Exactly.
1: Like, it is, it has been a goal since the first time I saw the movie. Just because the few people that are going to get it are really going to get it.
0: (laughs) Thank you for watching horror with me, everyone. I thank you again for going on this horrendous film exploration with me. And bye! See you next time.